the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today in the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 15, we are given the parable by our Lord Jesus Christ, the parable of the prodigal son. It's a parable that's very familiar to us. Of course, we hear it every year. We probably learned it in Sunday school all the time when we were growing up, at least most of us. And it's a very important story, a very important parable that our Lord gave. It literally is the story of salvation. In the parable of the prodigal son, you've got the fall of man, and you've got the redemption of man all in one by a loving and merciful Father. So let's attend, remind ourselves of this story, to hear what our Lord has for us on this day. In the parable, Jesus says a father had two sons. The youngest of the sons goes to his father and says, Father, please give me my inheritance. It's my desire to leave and experience life outside of your house, experience life outside of the order of your house. I need to go see what's out there. And so the father says, Thy will be done, gives him his inheritance. And off the son goes. We're told that he goes to a distant country. And in that distant country, we're told that he squanders the entire inheritance, the scripture says, on prodigal living. That's where you get prodigal son from. He squanders it on prodigal living. But you have to understand the meaning of that word prodigal. It's a very strong word. If you were to take godliness, righteousness, holiness, virtue, morality, and turn them inside out, that's prodigal living. The son squandered the entire inheritance of his family, the inheritance of his father given to him on lustful living, debauchery, drunkenness. You name any vice, he probably pursued it and squandered all the money in the process. You know, at some point, money runs out. And money ran out on the prodigal son. And so he found himself without anything. And not only that, at that same time, a famine struck the country that he had gone to. So the country was barren. There wasn't much to eat. There was no money to go around. And so he takes this job hired by a citizen to feed the swine on his farm. And he was just happy that he got to eat what he was feeding the swine because the citizen would give him nothing else. I want you to notice two things. In discontent, he left his father's house. He spent down his inheritance on immoral living. And what condition did that leave him in? What was the natural result from all of his actions? The condition was far less than the condition that he had when he lived and dwelled in his father's house. But we're told something. When he hits that rock bottom, He's left for dead. He has nothing, quite frankly. <clears throat> that the scriptures say he comes to himself. And I love that phrase. He comes back to himself. It's almost like the splash of cold water in the face that wakes him up and says, What am I doing? What have I done? And so what does he think in his mind? In his mind's eye, he goes back to his father's house. In his mind, and he, he sees the servants in the father's house. He says, even the servants in my father's house have a greater dignity than I'm left with now. And then the humility sets in that brings the true repentance. And he said, I'll go back. I have to go back to my father's house. 
that I'm going to go to him and say, Father, I have sinned. I am not worthy to be called a son. Take me in as one of your servants. And now he picks himself up. And just as he left the home, now he pursues the home. And he goes back. And as he's on his way to the house, the father who is outside sees his son from a distance away. And he doesn't wait for his son to come to him. He runs after his son to meet him because he thought his son was dead, but he's now alive. And he's rejoicing the whole way to meet him. And he calls out and he says, bring sandals, put it on his feet. Bring the best robe, put it on my son. Kill the fatted calf. Today we celebrate because my son was dead. But today he is alive. This is the story of salvation. It's also the story of the human will. I want us to think about something today. Oftentimes when we look at this parable, we look at the prodigal living, the sinfulness that the son engaged when he left his father's house, spending the inheritance away. But then we look at him coming back to his true self, repentance, heading back to his father's house in this newfound humility. And we look at the disposition of the father who is ever merciful ever full of grace and mercy, never not willing to forgive the penitent. And not only is the son welcome back into the house, he's not welcome back as a servant. He's restored to his complete dignity that he had before he left. We look at those things and they're right to look at. But today there's a different aspect of the prodigal son that I think we need to consider. It's this. Why did he leave in the first place? He had everything. I promise you he was probably the envy of others. He had everything in the order of his father's house. Why would he leave? The church fathers teach us that he left because discontent entered into his soul. They say that when we see the story of the prodigal son, we see the story of the fall of man. Think about this. Adam and Eve are created in this incredibly perfect and wondrous garden. Why was the garden even created? Why was the entire world even created for them? For their benefit. For their enjoyment. And that they may have dominion over it and share in God's dominion. They lacked nothing. They even had their heavenly father walking with them in the day. They had perfect fellowship. But what happened? An enemy, a serpent, came into the garden and came to Eve and tempted her to discontent. Tempted her by saying, I know that God said if you eat, you think that if you eat of this particular tree, you'll die. But I tell you, that if you eat of this tree, if you go outside of the order of God that he said, you eat of this tree, you'll just, you're not going to die. You're going to become like God. That was actually God's intent the whole time, that they become like God, but through fellowship with him and the order that he had created. Because he intended to share all that he was with them through that order. But what happens? He says, step out of that order. Pursue this. And you can become like God without it. And thus the separation was done as she pursued something outside of the order of God. And we know what would happen 
But after that, Adam and Eve's condition would diminish. It would no longer be the condition they once had, shining from the very glory of God about them, and death would enter into the world. My friends, why do we look at this? Because Satan, our enemy, is taking the same steps every day, nothing new under the sun, to separate us from life himself, the Lord our God. One of the greatest strategies of Satan is actually his oldest one, and that is to plant the seeds of discontent into the souls of God's children. And not only to plant the seeds of discontent, but then to place in front of them the pursuit of something outside of the order of God, tricking them, deceiving them, that by the pursuit of that which is outside of God, that somehow they're going to be fulfilled and content and find peace and fullness. This is what He is about in our lives all the time. And I suggest to you that if you want to see and have your eyes open to how our enemy is constantly coming against us to create this discontent and then the separation from God as we pursue things outside of His order, I suggest you read the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. I've read that three or four times, and every time I read that, it opens my eyes greater to what our enemy is trying to do in my own life. And I see him clearly. Satan plants the seeds of discontent. Then he hangs a falseness in front of us to pursue. We call it vices in the church. Things that we are compelled in our brokenness and in our humanity to pursue with all of our hearts, but that never fulfill us. They only create a continuous loop of greater and greater hunger. I'll give you a few examples, probably some of the ones that hit us the most. The vice of greed or avarice. This is the pursuit of excess material beyond what we need, whether it's money or things that money can buy or vacations that money can buy. You pursue that. Go out of the order of God and pursue that, our enemy says. And you'll find happiness and fulfillment and joy. You know what? Never happens, does it? The pursuit of the material, if that's the aim and goal of our life, creates a constant hunger for more without ever a satisfaction. What about the vice of lust? The lust, the passionate pursuit of the things that bring pleasure to the flesh, from sexual to other kinds of of pleasures of the flesh that tantalize us. Pursue that. Take your discontent, get discontent and pursue that and you'll be satisfied. Lust never satisfies. It creates a greater lust. Same thing with the vice of gluttony. And what's gluttony? Gluttony is the pursuit of eating fantastic meals for the sake of pleasure. Rather than eating meals simply for our health and thanking God for all that He provided. But even that does not create peace and contentment in our lives. The things that all of the vices, everything that Satan will ever place in front of us, the thing that they all have in common is that they create discontent and destroy the condition from which we were created by our Lord God. What might happen? When we as Christians begin to recognize discontent, and we will have discontent in our life. 
I promise you that. What would happen in the moments where we catch this feeling of discontent rather than giving Satan room to hang that carrot in front of us that produces death and never satisfies those vices? What if in those moments of discontent we set our face towards our maker? That we pursue God faster and harder than we ever would the vices that we have pursued in the past? What if we, like Jesus said, when he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. What does he say? For they will be what? Filled. What does it mean to hunger and thirst after righteousness? You've heard me say this before. It is literally like a starving man who has not eaten for days and days and then finally finds food. What does that man do? You better not be in his way between the food and him because he's desperate for that which sustains and brings life. Is that us? In the discontent that we find ourselves in, in this current life, are we passionately in the moments of discontent and is it even a pattern in our life to sow hunger and thirst after God? What might happen if God's people passionately pursue Him in the same way we so easily fall and passionately pursue those things that kill our condition? It goes back to the most simple verse we all learned in Sunday school. Seek ye first the kingdom of what does that word seek mean? Same thing as hunger and thirst for righteousness. There is a dedicated seeking. I will not stop until I have obtained it. I have found it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. The promise is you will be content. You will be 